everybody. Timothy, John Stafford, Michael, Carleary. Welcome to the Voxology Charles, Podcast. Charles, Bob. Charles, Bob, if we're going to throw Seth in. And Seth, let's be honest, has taken kind of the preeminent lead. Seth Theory? Seth Theory. Seth Theory and Seth Theory. <laughs> exactly right. Um, we're delighted. It's 61 degrees here in the Nashville region. Tim, where is it? What is it for you? It is currently 58 degrees. Nice. nice. We're two hours ahead, though, so you'll be catching up. Yeah, it's and, been warm lately. And it is wonderful. The flip-flops are on. My, um, my legs are, are showing. Off, though? That's a great point. Um, and all things are glorious in the middle of February. Eddie Vedder just released an album. That's Valentine's right. Day is coming up, and I got some good presents for my daughter and my wife. And um, you don't you love know, your sons? Not on that day. <laughs> not on that day. They get Super Bowl Sunday. They get they get their birthdays. That's what they get. Hannah, you know, Hannah gets her birthday, um, Valentine's Day, and that's it. And then Mama, of course, gets you know Mama Justin gets gets all the days. Absolutely right. So, um, man, we are delighted. We didn't make it through kind of all of our material last week. So I'm going to uh, read a couple of emails and then we'll dive right back into where we left off. First, uh, I want to thank E, literally the, the first name was E, period. And I want to thank Nancy for joining the Patreon team. That's so very cool of you. Thank you for your grace and generosity. We're very, very grateful as a crowdfunded nonprofit uh, when people believe in our community so much that they're willing to invest hard-earned money and so thank you for that um secondly i've got uh, an email i want to read um we're slowly making our way through all of the deconstruction stories but here's one i wanted to include i am currently uh, the worship pastor at a small portable church which means they set up and tear down um in the midwest i grew up in the united methodist church in a small rural community both of my parents were very involved teaching sunday school running sound finance committees the whole deal <laughs> the people in our church were like extended family members we had meals together we took trips together we loved those people and that place when i was in high school there were some disagreements in the congregation about worship style and the way that the church was being led and as a result my parents left the church I began attending a different church nearby where they still attend today. I stayed in the Methodist denomination until I graduated high school and then began attending uh, with my parents at that other church during college. Along the way, I've been sprinkled and dunked. I've done retreats, small groups, informal classes, and seminary training. I've been part of a traditional liturgical congregation, a contemporary sermon-centric congregation, and I've been involved in volunteer serving and leadership both uh, in both and in parachurch organizations on top of my current ministry career. So this is somebody who's been around the block, yeah. is what we're, what we're saying. Dunked and sprinkled. Dunked and sprinkled. Those are not donuts, by the way. That's, uh, really, yeah, that's the first place my brain went, and then I had to readjust <laughs> to be like, wait a second. I'm a contrarian either by nature or because of all the 90s punk rock that I consumed. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> in middle and high school. Um, so I don't usually buy all of what anyone is selling. My default posture is skeptical, and then maybe I'll come around over time. 
So as the conversation around deconstruction has been ramping up over the last few years in more public spaces, I've been really surprised to hear some of the reasons for the faith crises that people are facing and how often it is as a result of disappointment in the behavior of other Christians, whether publicly or privately. While I'm definitely disappointed by the things that other Christians say, believe, and do, it has never had any impact on my own faith, mostly because it doesn't surprise me. It's what I expect. And the reason is simple. People are stupid. I know this because I am a people and I am stupid. There you go. I love that line. People are stupid. How do I know? Because I am a people and I am stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I learn and grow every day. I come to new understandings and pick up new causes to champion in earnest. And then in a moment of idiocy or discomfort or expediency, I act or speak or think as if I'm the only human that's ever lived. What an ass. And yet every day I wake up with the goal in my heart to learn and grow in understanding and faithfulness to God, his creation, and the people he's placed in my life. I wish I could say I lay my head on my pillow each night having been successful, but it just isn't reality. And sometimes I'm wrong in my task and I don't even know it yet. Over the last couple of decades, I've deconstructed and reconstructed many of my earlier held positions and dogmas. Uh, If you wrote down a statement of faith and compared it line by line with one that I would have written 20 years ago, it would probably sound like two different people. Hmm. But isn't that what life is? Yes. Yes. As a father of four in the midst of a second career, living in a different state in the midst of a global pandemic, I had better see the world differently than I did as a 16-year-old learning how to drive and listening to the Vandals on his Discman. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I love that. I love it. Yep. Why, why do, are you not surprised? Oh, it's because people are stupid. Well, how do you know that? Because I am people and I am stupid. You know, to quote 80s, not 90s punk, but very late 80s punk. Yes. That was a, I used to, I used to sleep, which is insane. I used to sleep to Operation Ivy. I just put it on the sleep to it. That's what I'd fall asleep to at night. Wow. And the opening line of that record is, all I know is that I don't know nothing. Which means just, you know something. Yeah, but if it's you nothing. do all the double, if you do all the double negatives, you you're saying, "All Mike, I know is I know something." Mike, you're not a punk. True. Speaking I, of I, punks, though, if you see part of this deconstruction thing, uh, our old friend, uh, gosh, I don't even know his name. Yes, like the panheads. Remember when we talked about the panheads? The skillet S- guy. Skillet. Yeah, he's out there preaching against um, deconstruction. Yeah. And, and churches uh, advocating or people advocating for it or whatever. He's yeah. been going well, for it. Like we said, people use that word so loosely that I'd probably preach against whatever he's thinking too. But well, it's, that's, that was what people were saying that was interesting. They're like, he's got crazy tattoos. He plays like, you know, the devil's music. And so people are like, you realize that you literally wouldn't be accepted in a lot of the things that you're talking about. Like... <laughs> The hard lines that you're talking about, you don't fit in those hard right, lines. Like, right. Just calm down for a second. Yeah. 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 So good. Um, all right. This is a um, the the I had to read this when I saw the subject line. I'm a bounded fuzzy centrist. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So there's a question at the end of this, but it's so kind of well written. Okay, great series going on here. I can see. In razor sharpness, the ultra-bounded church fellowship I, quote, escaped from this last year after attending, uh, after attending off and on for over 40 years. 
Oh, wow. So that's a lot of investment in a church community. I could never put my finger on it, although my wife, who is a lot, all caps, smarter than me, had figured it out years ago. I knew I was growing more distant over the years as it became harder and harder to live, quote, outside the lines of the fellowship. I knew the lines had been there for years, but politics and pandemics had made them much more dangerous to cross. I think that is very true. Yeah. So the boundary lines we have, those have been sharpened by politics and pandemics. It's really well, a good we, point. They, were, they became, they were shown to us to be necessary. Yes. And so we had to respect them. Originally, I just chalked the lines up to a few vocal cranks in the congregation, everyone else being too polite or wimpy to challenge them until I wrote, in all caps, the email. And we've heard this from many of you. This is how it, this is how it starts. Yeah. I decided I need to step away for a while to straighten out some things in my head. So because I didn't want to do what most people would do in my situation and just disappear, I decided to write, uh, to write the leader of our men's group a fairly innocuous, so I thought, email, just explaining the need to step out for a while without laying blame or pointing fingers at anyone but myself. The reaction should have been predictable. While I didn't get any feedback concerning my own state of mind, everyone showed great concern that I decided not to attend the Bible study or go to church anymore. Yeah. Right? Nothing to do with how he's doing. Everything to do with, oh, oh, oh. You're outside the, the attendance line. Um, it seemed that the only concern from the group was that even though I was on the verge of complete mental and spiritual breakdown, it didn't matter as long as my butt was in a seat at the appointed time. Yep. What did shock me, so that, that reaction didn't shock him, but what did shock me was the meeting that my pastor requested. Uh, we got together where he proceeded to shower me with shallow platitudes and a great concern that my meeting attendance would be missed. Everything seemed to be going politely until I told him I was struggling with some of the teachings of the church and looking at other some theological options. Turns out this is the worst thing I could have possibly said. I've never seen anyone turn from Mr. Rogers to Dirty Harry faster. Now, <laughs> those, this is for, this, this is, these are dated references. So look yeah. up Dirty Harry. Um, well, what would be a modern Mr. Rogers and a modern Dirty Harry? I'm going to go with Ted Lasso to. Uh, that was good. That was good. And that was quick. Well, th Ted well, thank Lasso you. to. To uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> you, you equate Dirty Harry with Donald Trump? <laughs> well, just the dirty part, but that's, you know, yeah. that's fine. No, um, but anyway, he, he switched from being nice and polite to not that. Yeah. And he said, well, what things are you questioning? Not expected... Not expecting being called out on a theological smackdown, I stammered out a couple of sentences about living a sanctified life after salvation by grace and not by works. He blasted back, that's not spiritual, and that seemed to solve it all for him. So yeah. at that point, I realized, and this is the point, the boundedness of the church was not the result of a few cranks in a passive congregation. The whole system of belief there was infused from the top down and violators would be crushed. Here's my question uh, at the end of this way too long story. Since I've left, I'm seeking a local fellowship based on a centrist model. I can spiritually survive on a diet of like-minded social media groups and podcasts, but it seems a poor substitute for the real thing. Um, and um, it, it seems to be a poor substitute for real people that are willing to let each other stumble around towards the light. I don't want to jump ahead of you guys, but I, I'm sure hoping the end of this story you're telling can be a real happy one where we can fellowship in the model God wants. 
eager to hear your ideas on the matter. Yeah. Boom. Great, great email. Um, so, Timothy, um, what are your thoughts initially to this? To that? Yes, well, to what we I, just, Tim, just to clarify, to what we just read. Yeah, I think Ted your Lasso was a good, was a good example. Um, your thoughts? I, I tend to lean into what I said last week about how when we were kind of talking about the church model based on what the original church was and how often their gatherings were hypothetically anything like what we do. It seemed like it was mostly just, remember it was like, you know, there's the one dude that could read, but not necessarily interpret theology. And then you're waiting on a letter from Paul that came maybe who knows how far apart. And so what was happening in the middle of all those things that wasn't right. I would imagine it wasn't a bunch of teaching and worship and that kind of stuff. It was these people just investing their lives a hundred percent into each other. Right. Which I think is the key. And also I keep learning how different everybody is wired than me. And that has been perhaps the most important human. Whatever, whatever Enneagram four. We're not all like (laughs) you, Tim. Yeah. I was, it was a surprise because I spent so much of my youth trying to be as different as possible from everybody else. And then I just found out everybody is different anyways, but it's, (laughs) I, I love it. The messiness of humanity. And when you think about those things, leaning into that, you know, loving the differences between us, yeah, learning from the differences between us, and then just investing in one another on a daily basis. Yep, that's where that's where we're at. We're still trying to figure out what to do with church, or if we need to do anything with church, or if we are just learning how to actually cohabitate with people, yes, and their kids, and just live intentionally together. I love that. So, what you're saying, and really, this is where I was going to go with it. Um, in total agreement with your brilliance is that this isn't a model. This is a set of social practices and dynamics that can be embodied in different models. Yeah. So, so what you're looking for are groups of people who practice certain social dynamics. And that can be in a denominational church, a non-denominational church, a house church, a liturgical church. It can be, there's no sacred model out there. Um, and if there were, we'd screw it up pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> I am I am a people and I am an idiot, to quote our go. other emailer. Yep. <laughs> so what we're looking for are a set of relational practices. Um, Maybe and, that guy gave us our new Vox yes! motto. <laughs> that's, our t- that's our next t-shirt right there. <laughs> I am a people and I am stupid. Perfect. Um, one of my favorite t-shirts that I just used to giggle at, giggle, laugh, was <laughs> poor spellers, poor spellers of the world untie. <laughs> so this those strikes are, me. Yeah, those are English class jokes. Yes. Yes. So this one, this one's perfect along those lines as well. So yes, we are going to discuss the kind of relational dynamics, but you should already be getting a feel. The problem yeah. is you can't just show up once to discern whether or not a community has these racial, uh, racial, uh, although that is included for sure, but these relational dynamics, um, it's a, it's a long process of discernment where you kind of have to dig in a little bit to see. Um, and that's the scary part is the bait and switch The churches will say all the right things. The LGBTQ community feels this acutely. A church will say all the right things. And then as you dig in, you realize, oh, there's a different reality going on behind the scenes. Right. So, um, unfortunately, switch. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. There, so unfortunately, there's no model that's a centrist model. But there's a set of practices that can be practiced by people who have no idea what center set or bounded is. Yeah, I think you just nailed it. I think that's a great like headline buffer to have at the forefront of this entire conversation. Boom! We, we are trying to find a model that works, but it's the model system that doesn't work. Right. Like, right. If the focus is on the model. Now, yeah. now, there are corporate formative practices that yeah, shape us. Those are linked to the, to the other yes. posture. Yeah. That shape us into these relational dynamics. Yeah. So, so they may play themselves out like the uh, communion, the table, the common table is right. absolutely central. Baptism, central. I, mean, um, I never hear, not never, I rarely have heard those things articulated for maybe what the actual purpose is behind them. Right. You know what I mean? Like those yes. practices, even those could be beneficial in the process, but instead they are rhetorical and, but not in a rhetorical sense that people would understand the answer on a given take. Yeah. No, they're performative. Yeah. That's a better way to say that. You're smarter than I am. False. That is smarter false. and more articulate. So that is such a great question. I wanted to highlight the question, but the story was too good as he told it to just get right. to the question. Um, so let's let's push, keep pushing into church discipline. And we talked about, and this again, disclaimers, Mark D. Baker, channeling Paul Hybert. Um, if you want more, go there. Great stuff. Um as as is usually said in in research books, you know, the, the if if there's a mistake, it's not it's not Mark Baker, it's me. <laughs> so, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, discipline in a bounded community um, uh, focuses on the boundary, of course. Duh. Um, not much grace for failure. I'm just repeating what we said last episode. Um, there's the universal application of a standard process typically, and the, the judgment that is involved excludes and shames. Um, and ultimately, you know, discipline in a bounded church causes people to hide uh, and pretend rather than deeply engage in repentance, vulnerability, and transparency. Discipline in a fuzzy church, often there's no such thing unless you're making it unsafe for people to be fuzzy. Um, and, and that's usually just the don't ask, don't tell model of, of you know, kind of mega church life. We won't, we'll just, we'll just do our nice thing. It's only if you become a leader that we really care, you know, about yeah. what's, what's going on. Don't it, harsh my vibe. Don't harsh my vibe, um, says uh, Timothy Chong um, <laughs> Stafford. Short. Now, um, in centered communities, we made two points. Centered communities, and these are in order of priority. But centered communities will typically approach every case individually. They won't lead with, here's our rule, here's our process, here's our standard. Um, and because they take each case individually, it's a lot messier and more time consuming. Secondly, there's an invitational character. We're always inviting. Love doesn't coerce. Love doesn't manipulate. Love doesn't guilt or shame. Love invites. And so there's an invitational character of centered church posturing towards one another that is super critical and important. We'll talk more about that in, in a little bit. Um, thirdly, there is relational uh, discernment rather than judgment. Now, 
what I mean by this, and we've covered it before, uh, we, when we were on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about two, two kinds of judgment. Um, the, the word for judgment is the word crino. Did we cover this last episode? I don't remember. A little bit, yeah. Okay. Well, so crino um, can be used one of two ways. Good crino uh, separates things, healthy, unhealthy, wise, foolish. Um, bad crino separates people. Good, bad, right, wrong, godly, ungodly, in, out. Obviously, the bounded, the bounded divisions practice and elevate that kind of bad crino, what we're going to call judgment. Um, discernment, on the other hand, is not the same thing as judgment because it's not condemning people and labeling them and excluding them into group identities. Yeah. So discernment, and we do this as parents and friends all the time. Um, you know, I've, I've had friends who will simply come along and say, Hey man, maybe you shouldn't eat so much ice cream. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's, they're not, they're not, that's not a condemning. Um, now I could hear it that way. I could hear it as a bounded condemnation, right? But we'll talk about the way to create relational dynamics that where it's not heard that way. We'll talk about that in a second. The point is, um, we do this all the time with each other. The, the good crino, right? particularly as parents or spouses. We can do this all the bad ways, and we're all familiar with those. But what you see in Jesus, there are times when he really goes after categories of people. And he's doing so in a prophetic um, form of speech that was very common. So when he says, woe to you, Fer- scribes and Pharisees, right? That's an oracle of judgment that is much different than the kind of judgment you and I are involved in. Right. Um, where I'm just like, well, that person's an idiot because they do X, right? Yeah, the bad crino looks at somebody on the outside and makes a judgment about their inside. And, and the judgments are always, in bad crino, self-serving to me so that, I've, that I come out on the better end of that. What about with my puppy? Because I call him an idiot often. That's fine. That's just a title of affection. I have no gotcha. doubt that you just rejoice with that little puppy all the time. Yes, I was rejoicing all over the place this morning. <laughs> yeah, so so was he or she. Yep. <laughs> he is a he? Oliver, yep. Yeah, that's right, Oliver. I mean, but Ali could go either way, so I was like, ah, I I'm not I'm not terribly sure. All that is to say, um and because um we're we're more interested in discernment relational discernment with each other, um, we're much more interested in symptoms, excuse me, in roots, not symptoms. Right. Um, And so, you know, we rarely want to deal with the presenting issue. Um, Because if you shame and exclude on the basis of the presenting issue, you never get to the root. And and all you do is to either teach people to hide or teach them another moralism to try to fight. Guys, I've looked at pornography 8,000 times, but no more. And you right. just set them up for this endless cycle of, um, you know, effort, boundary, failure, shame, yep. effort, you know, and, and that's just not, I don't see Jesus operating in that fashion. What's it called um, on the other side? If you like, so the ice cream example, if you said the good cream knows someone coming in saying, Hey baby, you should ease off the ice cream. But yeah. the response that you have where you is maybe shameful. So you react defensively. There seems like there's a version of Crino on the receptive side. Yeah. But what is that called? Okay. No, 
now now Tim, you've just jumped ahead and now Sorry. never mind. Now no put a pin in it. Nope, we're we're going right here. Because I want to directly answer that question. That is the key question. How do we, <laughs> even if we're doing good crino, centered crino with each other, how to create relational, how do we create relational environments where that can be received well? Yeah. Now we can't control how it's received. And very often my intention in saying something never matches the 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 way the person hears it you know very Never. rarely does that yeah. happen i'll say but honey i meant this and she's like well yep. here's what i heard and it's over yep yeah. so um and we get to and we'll get to in a little bit like how rarely crino should be practiced because um mm. crino can often put us in a position to be superior or over somebody else right. and um how to do it as someone who's alongside another is the key. Yeah. So to answer this question, I need to introduce a whole new block of material. All right? Okay. <laughs> now, this block of material ties directly into what it means to be centered, although Scott McKnight does not use this centered language. But it, this was totally transformative for me in my parenting. Um, and in my church. I mean, all of the stuff we're talking about is stuff I've been learning, and it's been ridiculous um so so mcknight wrote a book about the church called a fellowship of difference with a t um the idea that the that the um you know the church should be a pizza or a salad where it's all mixed up together instead of kind of a you know a, a one um portion meal of just the same thing right there's uh yeah. there's the differences in the church make the church the church and those yeah. are beautiful. And he has a he has a, a subsection on there that for me was just boom. It was incredible. And it's about what it is to love. Because love is one of those horrifically flimsy elastic words that can mean damn near anything. My love for ice yeah. cream versus my love for my wife versus my love of friends, uh, love of Pearl Jam. I mean, there there's just no... And for a lot of us, love just means warm feelings, mm -hmm. um, the feeling of affection, or uh, an inner disposition to to be positive towards somebody. Or you know, love just means I kind of let you do your thing, you let me do mine. Um, right. McKnight argues because of the importance that Paul puts on love, and Jesus too. But Paul, I mean, Paul argues almost in every one of his books that love is the fulfillment of the entire Torah. Yeah. Paul doesn't have fuzzy love in view, nor does he have bounded love, all right? So fuzzy love is just this nice warmness, this soupy sentimentality that's, you know, that really ties into how I'm feeling that day. Bounded love is, you know, I love you only if, or I just love you when you do something. Now, again, this is not McKnight's definition, yeah. but, but centered kind of love is um is reflected on the kind of love that Yahweh demonstrates in his covenant with Israel and that Jesus demonstrates in his commitment to the church and it consists of four words that I want to explain all right love is the center of the Christian life but not just warm fuzziness not just sort of passive tolerance but it, it love first and this is all from 
God's covenant love. So he spends time going through God's covenant love. And I'll tie in a little bit because I, I want people to be able to you know, research this more. Hmm. But um, love has to do with uh, a rugged commitment to somebody, no matter what. A rugged commitment, and this is his word, rugged commitment, to be with somebody. So a commitment to them, a commitment to be with them, a commitment to be for them, and then, and only then, um, a commitment to help them grow towards something. So to be with them, to them, to be with them, to be for them, and then yes. help take them towards something. Yes. Now, now the major point that Big Knight makes, which was so liberating for me, is that the order of these is important. That until someone is they, until they, not your intentions toward them, but until they are convinced, you are with them no matter what. And you That's are huge. for their flourishing. And yeah. you're committed to them regardless of whatever it is that they do. Then, and only then, the good crino, if it's ever appropriate, may be deployed. Hmm. Right? So... Let's talk about this real quick. So love is not a dopamine rush. It's not a sentimental feeling, right? Love is, according to McKnight, a, a rugged commitment. Love has nothing to do with whether we feel love. Love has to do with our actions towards another. Otherwise, it's a, sound, a resounding gong. Nice, quoting Paul. <laughs> Boom. So, so God is a covenant God. God makes commitments to his people. Right, You see that in Genesis 12, Genesis 15. You see it at Sinai. You see it in the Lord's Supper. This is what God does. So God yeah. is a God who commits himself. And those commitments at times can be conditional. Hey, you got to live this way to stay in the land. But the most important ones are all unconditional. Yeah. Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. David, someone is going to sit on your throne. Church, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right, I mean, and and there's nothing that we do to dissuade God from those commitments. Yeah. So the first the first emphasis, the first kind of God we meet is a God who commits yeah. uh, himself to people. The second thing, the 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 sign of his commitment is his presence with them. So Adam and Eve in the garden, he's with them. He's mm -hmm. with them as they are. Um, um, in the book of Genesis, offering sacrifices in various places, waking up to, I had a dream about Yahweh right here in this certain place, says Jacob, right? I mean, Yahweh is still with them. He starts formalizing this with Abram, um, particularly in Genesis 15, reaffirmed in 18. That's where we get the first covenant and picture that God's going to be with. But the idea where it plays is in the Exodus story most, right? There... The commitment is, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will be with you. And physically, he was with them. Cloud yeah. and fire, then Shekinah glory in the temple, and his presence with them. So Jesus comes, he tabernacles using the Exodus word with us, and then says, it's good that I leave so that the spirit, my spirit, will be with you. And then the Bible ends, of course, Instead of in a garden, it's in a city, but it's the same promise. I will be your God. You will be my people in new creation. So that's the point of the Bible. The big biblical storyline isn't God <laughs> getting us out of here. It's God being with there the people who welcome him. Now, see, see you all next week. Yeah, that's the Bible. <laughs> there it is. So, so it's not just that he commits, but he commits himself 
to yes. presence. All right? And then thirdly, he commits himself to advocacy. So even, you know, Jesus' use of this advocate word or comforter word or teacher word to describe the Holy Spirit is really, really significant. Because Jesus is speaking in a legal, his, so many of his conversations in the book of John take on legal or have legal kind of connotations. And so, mm. you know, whether or not Jesus has two witnesses uh, to his claims about being from the right. Father, I mean, all of this stuff, his, his lineage comes into play. Um, who's the true father of Abraham? I mean, all this stuff was not jurisprudence the way we see it, but it was legal. It mattered. And um, and so Jesus's choice of of advocate is really important because it literally means that someone who is mm. for the flourishing of another. So it's not just that God is committed to us, and that God demonstrates that commitment by being with us, and that's His great promise to His people: "I will be with you." Right? That's the last thing Jesus says: "I will be with you till the end of the age." Um, and then, um, and then that that presence um, isn't just neutral. It's 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 designed to restore us and to rescue us and to redeem us. It's for our good. Now, obviously, that was the first thing attacked in the garden, right? If you take the Adam and Eve story, is the idea that God is for us, and the the demonic idea was no, God's against us and for Himself. Right. Um, yeah. So we still, we can have all the great theology and Bible study in the world, but it's this one that God is for us that is often the hardest to grasp. Hmm. Um, and the only way we ever learn it is by failing and uh, by walking in weakness and seeing his advocacy for us when we're not at our best and righteous. And then you're like, oh, okay, I actually believe this. And, and, and beginning <laughs> to understand salvation isn't restoration or isn't a rescue from hell, but salvation is restoration of full humanity. Yep. And you learn forgiving people is actually better than holding bitterness, and being generous is better than being greedy, and being humble is better than being kind, and treating women not as objects is better than lust. Um, you begin to inhabit those practices and realize, oh my goodness, this is actually the much better way to live than being enslaved yeah. to my anger, greed, or lust. So his advocacy is seen that way, but for many of us, it's still theoretical. But only in that context, when there's a rugged commitment to, a rugged commitment to be with, and a rugged commitment to be for somebody, that then there is toarding. Now, this is McKnight's word, that he loves us toward something. I would use the word telos. There's, a, there's an end uh, in mind. And that, that love is towards Christ-likeness. If Christ comes as the, as the first fully human since Adam and Eve, um, that's why you know, Adam is the first human and, and Jesus the second. That's the significance of that is Jesus demonstrates what full humanity and true humanity is and then invites us to be a part of that and have that restored in ourselves. That's the, that's the end game, as Thanos would say. Now, I was say Telos is not the name of the scroll in uh, Captain Marvel. Ooh, great question! <laughs> that was one of my least favorites. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was the name, but it means end or goal. And so, love has a Telos. Now, as a parent, the Telos of my love for my children 
is that they be healthy, happy, good, insofar as you can, people, right? You, I mean, describe it any number of ways. Mature, uh, they become functioning adults, they're good people, right? We all kind of know. So I'm loving them towards something. Yeah. But if all they hear from me is toarding, then they don't feel love. That doesn't feel like love. It feels like power, or it feels like manipulation, or it feels yeah, like if you a try boundary. To people with yeah, exactly with yeah. boundaries and say so. Hey. So when people say, "Hey, man, the most loving thing you can do is just tell somebody they're going to hell," that's a <laughs> that's a boatload of crapola. That's crapola. not true. Yeah. The most loving thing you can do for somebody is to demonstrate over a long period of time in the middle of your mess and theirs, a commitment to be with them no matter what, a commitment to be for them no matter what, and a commitment to them no matter what. Yeah. Even if they don't respond well to your torting, that's irrelevant. Only in that context, Timothy, does torting, is it possible for Crino and torting to feel like love? Yeah. So I've had guys come up to me and these are just dumb, really dumb examples. But like I had a guy, um, I've had this happen several times, um, where somebody at a random church will just come up and say, hey man, you, need, you need, really need to lose some weight. And, oh, wow. and yeah, yeah. And, and I'll be like, hey, oh, I had no idea, thanks. You know, it's, <laughs> really? I'm not supposed to look like this? And, and, and it's like, I don't receive that as all. In fact, I immediately click into, well, you're a jerk mode. Okay. Yeah, that um, was always the original founding principle of Young Life was the earning the right to be heard. Yes. Well, this is more a more detailed explanation of that. Yeah. But when I have good friends like you or Kevin or whoever who are like, hey, man, I, I want you around for a long time. Right. Are you are you doing the things you need to be doing to be here for you and your family? That's a whole yeah. different thing, yeah. because those are people who are with and committed to and committed for. And so I receive that as a whole different thing, right? Now that's just a dumb, obvious example because I talk about weight all the time. But man, you start you start going into like moral issues or political issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, so often our torting what we mean when we think it is to be loving to somebody, isn't loving at all. It's actually, it's actually anti-Christian. Yeah. Gambus makes a great point in his latest podcast where so often the way that we're taught to relate to non-Christian people makes, takes us away from being Christian in order to make them Christian. So we'll use pressure tactics, awkward conversations, you know, whatever, in the name of loving somebody. Yes, but, absolutely. But we've drifted from what any semblance of what love actually turns out to be. So, Timothy, back to centered set. All right, so there was my block of material. Are you sure? Because I have a huge, I have like a bunch of questions Go. that can derail you further. No, let's derail. Timothy, well, your great has, gift is, is helping is us all process. No, <laughs> well, no. This is everything you just said is huge, and it obviously connects to everything we've been talking about for the last year or two. Yeah, what it means to follow Jesus, what Jesus was actually trying to get at, then what it looks like in the implications of new creation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so the question that I and so we've asked a few people, like we asked Gombus, we asked um, Jersak, we've asked a couple people, like why did Jesus have to die? It, you know, that's at the root of a lot of these things. So. And I get it brings me to back to evangelism all the time because we're founded as evangelicals. We're founded on going out and um, 
making converts and having big tent revivals or having missions trips or having uh, big altar calls or having big holiday services that tell people what they need. Like this is the foundation of our faith, whether or not it's right or wrong. That's literally how we structure everything. Totally. So with all these people asking questions about church, how do I find a church? What do I find a church? If the church is built on that foundation, but not on this foundation of long-term living amongst people, uh, all the four things that you just listed out. So my question becomes like, so at the end, when you read Matthew and we've talked about this before, I think like the great commission, right? So go, we've we've kind of established that go is like, go down from here, make disciples of all nations. What is making disciples? What does that mean? Well, it means go back to the beginning of Matthew and read, read and learn what Jesus said is what it means to be a disciple and to grow and to learn in the ways that Jesus instructed. So Mm -hmm. if we're doing that, if that's the great commission is actually learning to go and uh, practice the Sermon on the Mount in a group of people, if that's the focus of a church or should be the focus of Christian life and what we call Christian life in a gathering is church, that's, it, it's, do you see what I'm getting at? Or am I wandering <laughs> Man, too you far? you had a great head of steam and then you just sort of <laughs> faded well, out. I don't want to take us too far off course, but I was like, the, I, I don't see, we're so built on this even, this uh, evangelizing model and saving souls and salvific language and all this kind of stuff. But that's doesn't everything that we keep studying every series does not have that at the core of it. No, not even remotely living. It has the four things that you just said. Right. So if a church, if you can't do that, if that, if that cannot be modeled or enacted within the group of people that you're meeting with, then yeah, that's not church. That's right. Well, so the whole model is like, it's, I don't know what to do with it. Well, it starts from a beginning point that we never thought to question. Um, because it starts from, okay, what's the gospel? Well, the yes. gospel is being forgiven for your sins so that when you die, you go to heaven and avoid hell. So right. that's where the whole story... It, so it starts 2% off. But by right. the time you play it out 2,000 years later... Right, it's, yeah, it's a whole different ballgame. And again, I mean, man, p- later generations will critique us. Great, this is the ongoing work of the church, discerning and reforming over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? So nothing bad about this. We don't have to be afraid of this, right? This is part of what we do. So we start at, we start with the we start on the wrong foundation of the gospel and then because we've defined the gospel that way the church becomes the place where we're equipped to do gospel work and gospel work turns out to be rescuing yes rescuing people from hell by preaching this message and baptizing them and i got this baptist reader uh because we're in southern baptist territory i I don't know why the church got it but literally the things that were measured were um, attendance, and it was a report of all these different districts. Attendance compared to last year, which was down for everybody because of the pandemic, of course. Number of baptisms, the baptism to church attendance ratio, mm-hmm. and then the number of baptisms relative to the a population ratio. So what was being measured more than anything else was baptism. And for them, baptism is... It's right. In the name. It's in the name, baby. It is the thing. It is the thing that matters. And I'm not denying that's important. Nor am I denigrating uh, the idea that churches can and should sometimes keep track of 
of things um, to see if if money's being used well or not. But I'm fine with all of that and don't mean to speak ill. I'm just using that as an example of, of we get focused on a finish line um, and getting yeah. people over that finish line becomes the goal. And to do that then, any means that is effective and efficient at getting people over the finish line becomes um, becomes a possibility, a real possibility for us, even if it seems to deviate from the posture that Jesus had towards people and invites us to have towards people. Yeah. So, of course, man, you stand on a street corner and preach, um, you know, hellfire and damnation, because if one pe- person is saved, that justifies any end that you use to get there. Right. And the Jesus community, uh, the true Jesus community, doesn't distinguish between means and ends. Uh, and efficiency is not a value, right? We leave 99 to chase one. But right. yeah, so there's nothing efficient <laughs> about the kingdom. So what we would say is that Jesus came preaching the kingdom and embodying the kingdom. And so we're to do that too. Now, the way Paul did that was he established churches. Yeah. He would he would in a culture that accepted this kind of public dialogue he would go to synagogues and from the Jewish scriptures reason that hey this messiah that was promised is actually Jesus of Nazareth that's not evangelism in the classic sense right. then he would go to places we have his ex- we have a couple of examples of speeches where he was not in Jewish spaces and he's quoting from po- prophets and poets and cultural understandings of the time and of those people um, but ne- never does he, you know, talk about going to heaven when you die. It's it's about what is happening and, and Jesus being risen and there is judgment coming, but it's never about what happens when you die. Um, it's always about what's happening here and now because the kingdom has come. So I think there's a place for the church, for a community to proclaim, announce, and embody that good news. Because the gospel, as it's used in the Bible, is not only an announcement, but it's a reality. And if the announcement doesn't embody the reality, then you're not announcing the reality. (laughs) Um, You're announcing something else, right? Totally. So, and Gombas has said this uh, multiple times, um, but there there isn't any, that he's aware of, any individual command to go and share your faith. Right. It's all communal. And testifying as a community to the reality that Jesus has um, has risen from the dead, and that the Spirit is alive and doing something new. But that's all embodied communally. So, so, and again, I'm not going to debate all of that, but I'm just following up on what you were saying by saying, listen, yeah. when you start the whole project by saying this is what salvation is. Yes, I am a sinner. He is holy. He finds me guilty. He pays for my guilt himself so that I might die and go to heaven. Now, there are parts of that that are true and, and definitely use biblical language. The problem is that's, that's such a small part, and in its smallness, it's malformed. Such a small part of what it is that God's actually up to in the world. And um, so we're whatever next series we do is going to kind of focus, I think, that direction. I think that's a great idea. And you've said this, you did this... Uh, offhandedly in a previous episode where you were talking about how to open up maybe maybe we didn't do this on air I can't remember like opening up the book of Mark and then just asking questions about every single word right like 
okay, here's the first line. What does this mean? What does this mean? Or like I said last episode about like Romans 3.23, like if my understanding of sin and glory are off yeah, and I, and I try to ask, well, okay, well then, you know, for all have sinned, well, who is all? What is sin? And then fall short. What does that mean to fall short? And then what does glory mean in this? Um, and what, how does that glory pertain to God? What is God's glory within that equation? To try to understand, I just, we, we, and we talk about this a lot. So now I'm just kicking the dead horse, but like <laughs> fostering cur- curiosity and wonder and that kind of stuff. Like I, that's to me has become the most important thing that's missing from humanity, but from the church in general is just like asking questions. Like if the, when you gave the gospel idea, the salvific language, like about sin and about judgment and stuff, it's like, okay, pull the thread. What does sin mean here? Mm-hmm. Help me understand that. Does it mean that I'm just a piece of and I don't deserve anything? Right. Or Whoa. is it something Whoa. else? Sorry. Wow. Whoa. I can I can beep it. No, don't beep. And then the and then it's like, well, what does uh, judgment mean in here? And you did. We had a whole episode that was just parsing out right. how judgment. A longer episode on the Crino stuff. Yes, yes, yes. And what that means, and it's like, we, if to ask those questions to really understand what it is that this stuff is saying, so that we can learn how it is to live with right. each other. In right. It. So, um, and I and I've done this well and poorly um both obviously there are some circumstances where um in a in a in a relational dynamic that is a commitment to each other for each other to be with each other no matter what there there can be good crino and um and that's received as loving um uh but most often we're we're not willing to do that we'd rather write statements um we'd rather preach you know um bounded sermons or whatever else and and so i just think the relate back to our question the relational dynamics that this involves you just can't tell i mean there's just no way to tell from a church's website or going to their service yeah which is so sucky right because i don't want to invest in a community that's going to hurt again right hurt me again um, and yet there's no other way to know if it's a yeah, good community. That's just how we work as humans collected uh, together. All right. So back to bounded. We're at an hour. I have no idea where the time went. This is ridiculous. I have no clue. So um, central to centered church discipline would be relational discernment rather than judgment. Right. Um, and the cultivation of the kinds of relational dynamics that embody themselves in com- in commitments to, for, with, and um, and then and only then towards, and and that was McKnight's big point. That was the one sentence made this all worthwhile to me. The order of that matters. If yeah, you skip the order, sense. then it's going to feel like bad crino and not good crino. And it likely thought, is by definition. Dang. Um, good church discipline or centered church discipline focuses on wisdom rather than rules. And I've learned this, this totally reshaped my parenting. I don't give rules to my kids, um, at all. Um, they, I, I say, Hey, I just want you to know, um, I have certain expectations of how this is going to go down. And, um, you know, whether it's like, um, how fast they drive or attendance at a certain thing or whatever. But we've never been a bunch of rule mongers. Like just, hey, well, you can't do this and you can't do this. So for drinking, 
we've wanted our kids to be wise. And so we approach our kids to say, listen, this is what a healthy relationship with alcohol looks like. We model it in our home. We allow them to taste um, alcohol. um, and, um, and, And we realize that there may be drinking uh, underage, um, and that there may be, you know, uh, things that we wouldn't necessarily want for them, but because we're raising them as adults, particularly our oldest who is in college, um, you know, it's like, well, if, if you teach them rules, um, then rules become the focus and they judge themselves good or bad based on that. If you teach them wisdom, yeah. then the conversation I have with them about drinking, they'll actually come home and tell me, hey, yeah. I tried this and X, Y, and Z, and then we'll have a conversation about X, Y, and Z. But yeah, it's, and you it's, brought that up last episode with like sexual purity, like here's the line and the question only becomes, well, how, how far can I, yeah, can I how, yeah, how close can I go? Right, instead of, and that's how we talk about sex. Here's what a healthy relationship with sexuality looks like. Yeah. Now, obviously God's a huge part of that. And the, the hugeness of God's part in this is the declaration that it is good and right. it is fully human, right? It's not a bad thing. We were sexual before we were sinful. But the last thing I'm going to do is give them lines that can become bounded in their minds. Right. Right. Now they know where we're at because we have conversations. Yeah. We've told them our stories. We've talked to them very honestly and openly about things using real words at real times, not trying to overwhelm them, but, but trying to be ahead of the curve in yeah. terms of what their classmates are talking about. And so whenever we go back, if, if there's ever something that's wobbly, and I'm like, hey, I need to have a kind of a conversation with you right now about wisdom. Do you think do you think that was a wise thing? Would you encourage other people to do that? So yeah. it's something and and invariably they're like, well, no, I don't think it was wise. But that's different than saying it's wrong and you've defied me and you should be right. punished. So so for me, so the 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 lines that I was given, um I have turned into, uh, needed to turn into pieces of wisdom. Uh, uh, you know, we want you to be healthy up sexually. And here's what that means, right? And so we talk about what that yeah. looks like and means. But yeah. we don't draw a line at premarital sex. We don't draw a line at, well, you can't drink. We don't draw a line at, you can't cuss. Yeah. Our, our bigger goals with our children are A, to be absolutely committed to them, in all of an all in all of theirness, in their adolescence, in their adultness, in their weirdness, quirkiness, weakness, failure, we're ruggedly committed to them. We want them to know, no matter what, they can tell us anything, and we will be with them in that thing. We've had to prove that in some uncomfortable conversations, yeah. and then for them to actually believe that we we are for their flourishing. They only believe that after they failed and feel shame. Totally. And when we come along and are like, no, 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 this, this is not how we respond to this. Yeah. And it has been, and, and then of course there is torting, of course. Hey, we're torting them towards wisdom. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom looks like a lot of the biblical teaching, right? But it doesn't look like a bounded line that, that just begs the question, how far can I go? Yeah. Uh, before I'm guilty. It has much more to do with what kind of people. So when we talk about pornography, I don't talk about pornography. I talk about how my son looks at, treats, and wants to value women. Yeah. 
And do you think porn helps that or inhibits that, right? Right. Um, And there are times we have shorter conversations like, hey, bro, man, be safe because this thing is, you know, this like there are shows on some of the streaming services that I I hear about. And I just am like, hey, man, um, I'd be really careful with this one. Here's what I've heard. But I'm not saying don't watch it. Right. I'm saying I think it would be wise if you didn't. Yeah, I mean, that's the critical thinking and all the different things that we've talked about that gets tossed into academic, like academia, but won't is not allowed to be a part of a yeah Christian conversation. So yeah, this, it's just as applicable here. I never knew that God would be with me in my badness. I never you knew were told. that. Right, and our kids, when we raise them moralistically, don't believe that we will be with them in their badness. So mm. they hide it, they pretend. They talk one way in front of us and a different way in front of their friends. And I understand some of that's normal. Totally, of course. Of course. I don't have expectations that we're pals. No, there's a uh, parent-child relationship in view here. But what's the goal of it? We, We want it to be reciprocal and mutual. I'm shaped by them as I'm shaping them. Yeah. Right? Torting can never just be one way. It always has to be a two-way street for it to, to be really received as love. Um, and, and we have, you know, instances where, yeah, there've been a few times we've been like, well, I think what you're telling us by never putting your lunch away is that, is that you want to start packing your lunch. (laughs) So why don't you go ahead and start packing your lunch? And then wouldn't you know the next day the lunch is put away, right? So, Hey, when you leave your clothes everywhere, that's just telling us you're ready to do your own laundry. Yeah. Right. But that's so different from the way I was, I was parented, of course. Um, and let alone when I failed the misery, I mean, not the, not the cool failures of like, oh, I got a bad grade or I got a speeding ticket or something, but like the nasty stuff, um, to have someone present there, yeah. you know, is just utterly transforming. And that's why support groups, you know, flourish in our world, uh, yeah. because that's what they are, uh, are expressions of this kind of of love and and in instances of addiction there do have to be boundaries absolutely sobriety is defined as this and it's very specific yeah, but that's one of those that's another example of like that's a more intense example of the food um one that you use as a metaphor like the coming along somebody in addiction they're even more likely to be defensive because there are physical hooks that are involved and and different things right. you know what i mean it's like that's even more reason to have earned that right in someone's life to be walking with them and loving them. Or like, you know, we've mentioned like at seven years into our marriage, a lot of the couples around us started to get divorced. Now we're at round two of marriages around us falling apart. And it's like, those are really uncomfortable conversations and very hard conversations to have with people. And me just walking up to a stranger being like, Hey, don't be an idiot. Um, (laughs) You know, fix your marriage. That's not going to solve anything, but I don't know. This is just part of living in the mush pot together. Like Right. But but listen. I mean, I can hear the critiques I would have given myself, you know, 10 years ago. Like, yeah, but or what about? And I totally understand those. And it is it is messy and people may disapprove of our our parenting style. Um we don't require them to go to church. Hannah goes um because she wants to. 
and we would never require that of her. She, she gets to wear whatever she wants. She gets to talk however she wants. She brought a friend um, who took communion for the first time ever and said in a non-hushed voice, man, this tastes like shit. Um, <laughs> and I love that. I do too. I do too. I think it's the greatest thing in the history of the world. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? They, that's, that smells and feels and tastes like Jesus. But man, it's such a commitment to be this way because it's so unclear sometimes. Like there are times when I'm praying and I'm like, God, I really have no idea how to handle this. I have no clue. I yes. want to go to a boundary or not a boundary because boundaries are good. I want to go to some bounded line. It's yeah. like, God, I mean, you can't do da 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 Yeah. And exercise power over. And in those moments, most, the vast majority of the time, thanks be to God, uh, I've not come at him that way. Yeah. Um, I've been able to, whether, you know, whether it's grace, mercy, or training, um, approach them or as... all the above. Or all the above. Yes. Amen to that. So I'm super passionate. And, and parenting has taught me about how God disciples us. I, he does absolutely. the same freaking thing, man. In my shame, in my ugliness, he doesn't run away. He draws near. Now, the right. problem is I can't receive that because I'm a bounded, fearful person <laughs> who has a shame narrative that overrides everything else. He's also invisible, so that's hard too. That's very hard. And that's why his church becomes important. <laughs> yeah. Because exactly. they become the agents of uh, the invisible God. So, yes, yes, yes. Amen to it all, Timothy. So mm. we we focus on rules rather than, or no, I keep screwing this up. We focus on <laughs> wisdom ah, rather than rules. One more, uh, and this is from uh, Baker too. Um, we explore rather than pronounce. And I, lo I love that language. The idea is we explore stories rather than pronounce rules. We ask mm. questions that are trajectory questions that get beneath the surface of things. We never react to the presenting issue. See, so now I'm wondering, and I can cut this out if this is way off base, but if you come alongside somebody and our tendency is to, to pray for um, like blessing or wisdom for that person, um, is it in fact when you come alongside somebody and you're intentional in that way that um, you are in the act of praying for the blessing, offering a blessing to that person, yeah. and then uh, creating a platform and an encouragement for that person to lean into wisdom. Ah, uh, well, Tim, you know, I think there's something to that, bro. I found I'm always trying to wrestle with prayer to like to see the I know, see the, I know. So I'm know. just asking in the into the darkness. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, in one sense, you're in praying thusly, you're becoming part of the answer thusly. Yes. Absolutely. And that's legit. Of course. Of course. Of course. Well, I remember Campolo, early hero yes. for me, as we've talked about, but he told the story one time that he was invited to uh, speak at this like thing for a missions, missions organization. And at the end, they're like, you know, Pastor Campolo, will you get up and pray that we get the amount of money that we need to do this? And he's like, no. But I bet you if everybody in this room takes the money that's in their pocket and puts it on the table, 
we'll probably have enough. And sure enough, everybody emptied their wallets out and they had exactly the money that they needed Come for on. whatever they wanted to do. And he was just like, you, we, uh, we play a part in this. Like, yes, there's yeah. a role to be played here and it's not just throwing right. prayers and people are going to get mad at this, but no, 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 you know no, I mean? no, no, buddy. You're absolutely right. So when you pray, like, so a, a, a constant discipline for me is praying the Lord's prayer. And we've talked about this. Which I don't do pray it as a passive observer. I say, my father, thank you for parenting me. I volunteer to keep your name holy. Not just let your name be holy out there somewhere, but I volunteer to be one who does. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't just pray abstractly, may your kingdom come. No, I pray that it would come in right. me. And it would come in my marriage. And it would come in my fathering and in my friendships and my work. Yeah. Not just on earth as it is in heaven. But here, and implied in all of that is I am in partnership with God in the bringing about the answer to the thing I've just prayed for. Yeah. Totally, dude. That is absolutely right. Absolutely right. <clears throat> that's why I try to remove all passive language from my prayers. God, I let us just, I just want to pray. I just, God, I need this. I, I really need your help here. I need it. Right. I need it. I think it'd be in your best interest to do it. <laughs> so let's go do this. Or other yeah. times it'll be like, hey, God, I'm going to, I think this is what you're inviting me into. I'm going to go chase. And if it's, if it's not something, then, then let's run into a brick wall together. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe a, a pillow wall. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes brick though is the only thing that gets attention. But yes, Tim, all yeah. of it agree. So the last thing um, we we want to say about all of this is that is that um, this takes forever. It is hard, messy. What Jesus himself condemns more than anything is the hypocrisy of setting up myself as a as an arbiter of Crino. And that doesn't mean there isn't time and a place for it, but we've talked about the relational context from which it is most effective. And so to our questioner at the beginning, how this is what you're looking for. It can be embodied in a small church with a Catholic priest. It can be embodied in a house church with people who've never been to seminary. It can be embodied in mega churches that work so hard to break down all the barriers that, that are erected to create a mega church. I mean, it just, there's no model for this. It can only be practiced, though, in smaller bite sized communities. So, yeah. Mega churches can be great at creating bites, smaller bite-sized communities. Um, and just because it's a smaller bite-sized community doesn't mean it's great. So, you know, there is no way to just <laughs> format this in a way that we know it'll be healthy. There's nothing yeah. but the slow, steady, we're not revealing our heart, you know, for a while. How, and, and these are all the questions we've talked about before. How do they handle discipline? How do they handle power? How do they handle money? Um, yeah. uh, if someone's fired, do they, how do they handle that? Um, those are questions I would have about leadership, but then in the church, um, is there a commitment to being real with each other or is, as you experienced, even in a men's Bible study, sorry, man, we're not really committed to you because you don't, you know, come anymore. Um, you cross the boundary for us. And obviously some people can opt out. You shouldn't go chasing all the time. But my point is they made that the issue, not how he's doing. Yeah, totally. See, the bounded folks um, go, nope, 
uh, you're going to miss attendance. The centered folks go, hey, man, who cares about the Bible study? How are you? Oh, man, I'm really screwed up and rethinking a lot. I've got all sorts of questions about God. Fantastic. I think that's a really healthy thing. Let's walk together if you trust me enough to let me in. Yeah. And, and the vast amount of people I've come across don't need to be told they're not living in a wise way. Right. They just need permission to kind of arrive there themselves without being, you know, told yeah, time by some and space to learn and grow and yes. Yeah. Yeah. Only in hindsight can I see how unhealthy some of my emotional patterns were. Yeah. You know, at the time I thought, well, I'm not doing X, Y, and Z, so I'm okay. Right. Right. And you're like, yeah. no, not okay. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, more mess. I know, guys, I know <laughs> there's, please, please email us questions or thoughts about all this stuff. We, uh, we're getting so much by way of comments and question on this conversation. I think what we're going to do, um, we'll give this a couple of days, but I think we're going to release a midweek episode that's just listener comments and questions. Um, because so many other points are being raised. And, and, you know, whether you're a church leader or not, I think this has such important relevance about what it means to be Christian. Yeah. Um, as a, as a, a mother or father, as a brother or sister, as a child, as a student, um, in the workforce. I mean, this, this is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And so yeah. I don't I don't think there's more important stuff we can be talking about right now. Oh, the rest of remember, the commentary. The, oh, because remember, <laughs> the question that provoked it was, how do I be unified with people who right. believe ugly, terrible things? Yeah. And our answer is going to be, well, it depends how you define unity. If unity means all the adherence to a boundary line that we all agree on, then hell no. We're not going to be unified. If unity means it's possible for people to be in all sorts of places, close to Jesus and far away, but there's a there's a nudge towards, there's an opening towards. A racist has to start somewhere, right? A white supremacist has to start somewhere. There's the slightest inkling, and those inklings only come when they're given room to be who they are. And so... Are there times when we're called to unify with people who believe really, really crazy things? You bet. How do we know who those people are? Well, they're the ones that are turned towards the center. Well, how do we know if someone's turned towards the center? Ah, we sit in these kind of relational contexts and go from there. <laughs> and it's a pain in the Boom. butt. And you could probably only do it with two or three people, you know, diligently as busy as most of us are. So this yeah. is not a whole community of people doing this, although this is where we learn and practice in larger yeah. communities. But where the day-to-day -day stuff is, I've got a small, tight tribe who who can toward me and has. Well, and I receive that as love. That's interesting with like the, where is it? With the, you know, with the grievances and you go by yourself and then if they don't listen, you go with... Matthew, yep, couple, Matthew 18. A couple other people. And it's it's very relational the way that that is staggered. It's... The way it staggers out or builds out it, and it's dignifying it's i'm yeah. not going to publicly shame you yeah um i feel like you sinned against me and we need to discuss this now the sin 
back then, man, the sins were social. They were honor shame. They were un, uh, you know unjust practices. Um, the the when when they heard the word sin, it was a much different connotation than we have. Um, although it includes moral transgressions, but you know primarily it was social realities. If there were things that were breaking the shalom of of community members, it was those kinds of things. And you see this all throughout the epistles, where what they're correcting are community practices. They're not correcting individual behavior so much as much as they are community practices. Mm-hmm. Hey, you guys need to stop favoring the rich. Hey, you guys need to stop celebrating this incest. Hey, you guys right need to embody new creation and walk away from all of this malice and argumentation and such. So all that is to say, friends, we're going to progress uh, out of church discipline. If you have more questions about this stuff, please email us. We'll do a we'll do an episode that's just listener questions um, and uh, and responses, and then um, we're going to go. I think the next episode is clarifying the center. What kind of Jesus are we talking about when we say <laughs> Jesus is the center? And um, and then we'll talk about the re- the relational dynamics that have to be in place and the community formation that makes space for those relational dynamics uh, that have to be placed to c- create a centered community because yeah. it takes some work to to center it and then to maintain. You know, because man, the thing I always want to go to my automatic reaction based on upbringing and flesh is to go bounded always and forever yeah right to label to do bad crino it's just so built into me and so to have that discipled out of us is a really really long project (laughs) so anyway there you have it sports fans you guys are amazing learn what you have learned isn't that yes and jesus did it all the time the poor disciples my goodness and he still does it today May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, give us peace. Connect with us at voxologypodcast.com. We're grateful so much that you tune in. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us